What's up, everyone? My name is Michaela Nemhard, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's get ready to hear the word. Hey, good morning, Sanctus. So glad that you are joining us today. You might be online today. Uh, in Ontario, Canada, somewhere else in the world, or you might be at one of our physical locations. You might be listening to this months or years later on a podcast, no matter who you are, where you're coming from. So glad that you're with us today. Okay, I just want to throw this picture up as we get going today, if you can all see it. Uh, That was me four or five weeks ago. Uh, And for you who are listening and can't see it, I basically am a full uh, Mickey experienced uh, I got ears, I've got the shirt, except it's Lucky the Rabbit. That's a whole different conversation. If you don't know about him, you can go Google him connected to Disney. Here's the point. Uh, we were at Disney like five weeks ago, six weeks ago as a family and had an epic time. And I've shared this about food and other things, but let me begin like this. It, it's one thing to know that Disney exists. It's another thing to watch uh, advertisements. It's another thing to go on TikTok or on YouTube and see people talk about it, blog about it, walk through the park, or even do that first person experience on the ride, but it is a whole other thing to experience it. See, that's the difference, of course, between knowing and knowing. Uh, One version of knowing is I know it exists, intellectual. Yes, it is there, but real knowing is intellectual and experiential. That is true knowing. I half-jokingly posted on Instagram when we were down at Disney, there are two kingdoms, one that will last and it will never end, the other will not last, one gives joy and and the other gives momentary happiness, but I am a willful member of both kingdoms. As many of you know who are here or part of our church, I am a self-proclaimed Disneyholic. It's rooted in my core memories, of course, as a child. My parents were missionaries in the 80s in Ecuador. Every time we would come home back to Canada, we'd stop in Florida for three plus days. We'd go to Epcot, we'd go to Magic Kingdom. And if you can believe it, I was reflecting on this the other day, they actually used to have discounts for missionaries and pastors. Uh, that day is long gone. Uh, the ones, the rides that formed me most, It's a Small World, Peter Pan, Figment, of course, at Epcot, that smell at Pirates of the Caribbean, so you know what I'm talking about, and Mickey himself was embedded in my fabric as a human. Now, I've passed this on to my family. Many of you would say I've infected them with this disease. Others people like, no, this is the greatest gift you could give them. But this trip over the summer was a really special moment after covid We were able, through friends, to get two weeks at a timeshare just beside the parks. We were really excited to go because uh, the last time we had gone, Star Wars Land didn't even exist, and there were so many new rides to go. Ratatouille, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then there was just all the things, the snacks, the ears, all the magic. But there was a catch. We were going the last week of July and the first week of August, and when we told people when we were going, every single person said, you're crazy. You, you should not go. Uh, it's so disgusting. It's so hot. And we said, no, no. Yes, yes, we're going to go and we're going to be fine. And we emphatically reminded them and ourselves it was worth the pain because the lines would be so much shorter. Well, we went and it was an amazing trip and it was disgustingly hot. Every day it was somewhere between like 92 and 102 to use American numbers. Uh, The sweat, the smell, the lack of hydration, 
the meltdowns, the family fights in line. Every time it rained, we would put on cheap plastic ponchos, which covered us from the rain, which relieved us. But then suddenly we realized it was so disgusting and humid. We were now basically walking greenhouses and we were sweating more underneath than the rain was upon us. And yet, the food was amazing, and the rides were amazing, and the pin trading was amazing, and exploring Disney with a much less rushed experience was awesome, and it was so much fun. It was magical, it was immersive, it was imagination, it was inspiring. Our kids actually said it's the best family vacation we ever had. I remember, like, uh, in week two, looking around at all the good and the great and the bad and the ugly and realizing it wasn't just our family, but every single family around us was, was having the same experiences. Uh, amazing and awful and hot and beautiful and joyful and stressful and thoughts like, why in the world are we even here? And then at the same time, I just cannot wait to come back. This is incredible. Um, all of that, to me, is such a vivid, helpful picture for all of us today. It's a great image, actually, to help us talk about reality when actually knowing God in Christ. Not just the amazing and good, but the difficult and the terrible, all in one experience. More on that in a moment. Uh, as we end this amazing summer series on the names of God, we of course end with Jesus. And if again, you're a seeker here today, or a skeptic, or a cultural Christian, or you belong to another form of faith, or you're spiritual uh, in general, by the end of this talk, you'll know the fullness of actually what Jesus claimed about himself. You'll be able to say yes, uh, no, or I'm not sure in a very informed way. Now, for others of us who have already said yes, that is, we know Jesus, believe in Jesus, and follow Jesus, we will, by the end of the sermon, be able to see him more, love him more, be thankful, inspired, faithful, and hopefully inspired with more hope. Now, in the book of John, Jesus uh, seven times said, I am, and then used an image. He said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. And, and so, to end our Names of God series, I want to speak to that great Old Testament name, I am. And as we get to that name and its connection to Jesus, I want to walk us through the story in the place where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's all about food. <laughs> There's an obvious thing about food I preached out of John 6 years ago here, and I said, we don't reflect on this very much, but it's true. Food, once it's eaten, is gone, and of course, we get hungry again. I said, imagine the best meal you could ever have, like Michelin star, five-star, crazy amount of money, hundreds of thousand dollars, and it's like, oh my goodness, and a McDonald's drive-thru. Uh, the experiences are profoundly different, and the quality might be profoundly different, but at the end of the day, the food has the same fate. It goes into your stomach and then some of it into the toilet. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And here's the point. We want lasting things. We search, we long for eternity, those things that are eternal. And, and actually, this is one reason why Jesus truly came to his day and in our day to show us the emptiness of life. Jesus wants to free us, to show us much of the time, how defective our view of life and existence and eternity really are. He, he actually claims that he comes to give food from heaven. He has come to reveal who he actually is and what he wants to give, and both never run out, and, and both are amazing promises, and yet they have to be rooted in the names of God. Now, we're going to be in John 6, so if you've got a Bible, physical copy, or online somewhere, would you just flip to John 6? 
This uh, passage begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000, which isn't actually 5,000. That's just the men that were counted. So this is way over 10,000 people. And he feeds them with two sardines and, and five large crackers. And this was setting the stage for his claim that he is food that never runs out. So after he feeds thousands in the most miraculous of ways, Jesus just gets up and he leaves. The crowd is so epically blown away from this act, they hunt Jesus down and demand more from him. The crowd, like many of us, when we get close to Jesus, we begin to have all sorts of experiences at once, just like that Disney story, beautiful and, 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 and disgusting and hot and, and awesome. When people got close to Jesus, they get confused and angry and shocked and encouraged. Jesus tells them they have to trust in him only, not in what they do, and actually not what they want. Verse 26, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. You are so earthly motivated. Jesus is going to, again and again, try to move this massive crowd away from what they just experienced alone. The stuff you bake, the stuff you buy at the grocery store won't last. Simple truth, you need food, you eat it, it's gone. If you don't eat it and it sits there, it rots. It just doesn't last. Physical food satisfies for a moment, but the spiritual food that I'm offering actually lasts and it must come from God. Then Jesus says this in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father's placed his seal of approval. Okay, Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you something way more than bread. You have to trust in me and only me. Why? Because God the Father, Elohim, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, has put his seal on me. Well, what's that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to Jesus at his baptism. And at that moment, two things take place. Number one, God the Father declares, this is my son. And also Jesus at that moment is empowered for ministry. And Jesus is going to say, I've got God's backing and approval. And then in verse 28, the crowd asks one of the most important questions in the whole Bible, but actually it's the question that's asked by billions of people today. What must we do what must we do to do the work God requires? What kind of work do we need to do to get this bread? <laughs> what must I give? What must I do? What do I need to bring to the table to get this eternal stuff? What good works must I do? What things must I do to please God? How much credit do I need to build up? Uh, uh, because you're talking about things that seem pretty epic and amazing, and I want them. How much is this going to cost me? On the surface, of course, this question seems right and, and expected, and the question is deeply religious. How good do, how religious? And Jesus undercuts all of it and says, actually, you've already, already got this wrong. What? Verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. This undercuts almost every religious worldview on earth like that. I've used this example, I think, twice before. I want to read it again. One person reflecting on this said, they asked what kind of work they had to do to get bread. Jesus responds by saying, there is no physical work you can do. You need to believe in Jesus. The bread that lives or endures comes through faith. Suppose, I love this, suppose you're inviting, you invite a family over for Sunday afternoon dinner. It's a great meal. You put on a huge spread for them. You fix their favorite meat, cook it just the way they like. There's a big tossed green salad, steak, uh, steaming baked potatoes, cheese sauce, refreshing beverage apple pie. 
Now, by the way, I love our church. We've got probably 55 plus nationalities, and that's a very, very traditional sort of North American dish. You think about the best meal in your cultural setting that you would serve to a guest, whatever that might be. What a dinner. <laughs> Soon everyone's sitting back, patting full tummies, and suppose it's time for your guest to, to leave. And they take out their wallets and they ask you, how much do we owe you for this meal? You would probably say, you don't owe me anything. But wonder if your friends or guests respond, we absolutely do owe you something. We're not freeloaders. How much do we owe you? And then take out like two or three $20 bills and throw them on the table. Just the mention of payment would, in this setting would be like such a grievous insult to you, let alone throwing the money. And then he writes this, and yet, do we not find ourselves going through life, going through life trying to pay for a free meal and in the process, always insulting God. Oh. Let me read this again. The work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. So then they ask him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do, Jesus? See, our forefathers ate man in the desert, as it's written in the Old Testament. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Yeah, Jesus, okay. <laughs> Thanks for yesterday. And that was amazing, but we moved on. And, and don't get us wrong again. Yesterday was pretty amazing, but we <clears throat> now need you to do one better. So let's, you, let's see you match or beat the big guy. Match Moses. I mean, I dare you. Remember, Jesus, before you say you can do all this, we want to remind you, I mean, you're a Jew, so you know this too, that you know Moses fed Israel six days a week for 40 years with bread from heaven. You fed 10,000 of us with one meal, so we want you to give us a sign that's more significant than Moses, and that's going to assure us of this permanent sign of, uh, of bread. Well, Jesus then does it. He says in verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's me. You all are missing this. It's not the miracles. The miracles point to the miracle giver. I'm the food. I'm the substance that will nourish body and soul. It's me. Listen, it's no mistake I was born in Bethlehem. You all know this. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Even the place where I was born points to not only who I am, but why I've come. I am the bread of life. Now notice, uh, they keep talking about Moses. So just since we're, uh, make sure that we're on the same page, the people of God leave Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And there's a lot of detours for 40 years, but they're in trouble. They had no food. They cry out to God. And then in Exodus 16, it reads like this. The Israelites said to Moses and the leadership, we'd only died by God's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Verse 4, God said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Verse 15, Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 31, the people in Israel called this bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, an original Jewish person hearing Jesus would have been like totally blown away by this statement. Because this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm manna from heaven. Me. That physical thing is fulfilled in me. Another person wrote it like this. Manna typified Jesus. For it is white like snow. 
just like Jesus is without blemish or imperfection. Man is accessible. That's actually one of the main virtues. A person could walk outside of the camp to gather it, but they had a choice. They could either walk on it or pick it up. So we can either walk by or walk on Jesus or take him up as Savior. What do you want? He knows the heart of the crowd. He says in verse 36, But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. You've seen me. You just saw me. Some of you were there. I fed like 10,000 plus people with five crackers and two sardines. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me raise the dead. You've heard my teaching. You've said time and time and time again. We've never heard someone teach God's truth like this so clearly. Such power, such authority. We've never never heard anyone talk like this or do these things. But you still don't believe. But then Jesus says, ah, but some of you will. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. See, salvation, here again, undercutting all humanism, all self-reliance, every religious system. Salvation is by God, for God, and through God alone. We never come to Jesus because we think it's a good idea. Jesus is not a good idea. For people who are deeply in dark practices, they don't want to be exposed. People that are self-sufficient, they don't want to admit that doesn't help. Listen, it doesn't matter where you come from, secular, spiritual, religious, or not, because when Jesus shows up, we all have to be honest about pride, sin, and our true condition. See, the sovereign grace of God, that's how we come to believe. We don't talk ourselves into faith. It's not of our own doing. He brings us to life. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he gives me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. When you actually stop and hear Jesus' words plainly like that, what Jesus said right there is so damning and so powerful And so shocking and so encouraging, depending on what you do with Jesus. For those that embrace Jesus, it's eternal life, and there's purpose, and Jesus will never leave us, and he'll never drive us away. We'll never go hungry and thirsty in the ultimate sense, because our deepest need to know God and enjoy him forever will be fulfilled. Death doesn't win. He actually says he's physically going to bring us back from the dead, just like, of course, would happen to him. But if you don't choose him, you don't get any of this. Well, verse 41 the, tur- the, you know, the crowd begins to turn. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from, oh, heaven. They're no different than their ancestors, and we're no different than them. God moved, of course, and saved and provided in the desert, and they didn't like how or where or when it happened. And once again, they're not pleased now. What they're hearing in this moment, they start getting angry, they complain, and it's here they really begin to object. They want Jesus on their own terms, not on his terms. Uh, Did you catch it? Jesus claims to be bread that came down from heaven. Okay, okay, okay. The implication, I can hear the crowd talking, is this. Are you claiming to be better than us, Jesus? Are you claiming to know God more than us? No, no, hold on. You're claiming you came from heaven. That means you actually are from not here and you're equal with God. Listen, you need to sit down, Jesus. We know you're special, but this is sus. Like, this is inappropriate. This is too far. We, We need to remind you of something. Hey, we grew up with you. I mean, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Please, Jesus, we know you. We went to parties with you. 
We were at weddings with you. We've hung out and been in your house. We know your mom and dad, Joseph and Mary. We know everything you're saying is false. You're one of us. We lived with you for years. Yes, you're different, sure. You do some miracles, but man, this is going to your head. Jesus is returning. Stop grumbling among yourselves. <laughs> no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. Yes, 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 fine. You hung out with me, and you know my parents, and, and we grew up together, but that's not the whole story. See, you cannot come to me. You, cannot, you will always hang out with me and look at me, but you will miss me because actually you're blind. Yes, I'm the guy you played soccer with. And yes, I'm the guy that swam on those hot summer days. But before all of you were, I am. See, this is where he's driving. Jesus says in verse 45, as it's written in the Old Testament prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Jesus says to this whole crowd, including a lot of his old friends, if you don't accept me and what I teach and what I claim about yourself, myself, you actually don't know God. You're not hearing from God. You're not taught by God. Okay, whoa, just everyone pause for a moment. Think about every religious person on earth who's not a Christian. Jesus says, if you do not accept what I claim about myself and what I teach and who I am, you do not know God and God does not hear from you and you're not even being taught by God. Oh my goodness. And just by the way, in case anyone's missing it, Jesus says, I'm offering amazing things, but let me say this in emphatic terms. No one has seen the Father, God, except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. He points to himself. I am the living bread. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, they'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See, Jesus wants to do something most of us never thought or would think God wants to do. Jesus intentionally divides the crowd, allowing those who are truly being drawn to get closer and actually pushing many, many farther away to leave, to reject, to run from Jesus and never return. Jesus says, look, you have to ingest me, take me in, you will live. You must eat my flesh. Now, just as a side note, a lot of people, especially the Roman Catholic Church, will say this is a reference to communion, the Lord's Supper. That's why they teach at every service, right? You take communion, you literally eat the body of Jesus. But see, the word flesh is never used by Paul or the gospel writers when talking about communion. And oh, by the way, communion or Eucharist, or Lord, it doesn't even exist yet. This is a metaphor where Jesus is inviting people not only to think about him, but to embrace him, to receive him internally. Now, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Now, the crowd turns, of course, on each other. They misunderstand Jesus. They begin to fight. Are we really supposed to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood? This is offensive. This is cannibalism. This is sinful. If Jesus had a PR director, by the way, or a social media manager, they would be losing their mind and freaking out right now. This is a PR nightmare. We would want Jesus to soften his statement or clarify. And he goes, no, I'm not clarifying. Let me actually go further. Now, why is Jesus being so direct, so harsh? Because he wants to kill any notion about himself and God that is false because those things actually become idols and lead to death. 
not life. I almost wonder if Jesus at this moment stopped and pondered before he said these next words, knowing that from a human perspective, he was going to lose so much that he had worked for. Jesus said to them, I, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, back to Disney. You can follow all the best Instagram accounts at Disney. You can follow all the TikTok bloggers that are there. You can watch all the documentaries, but you only cross into real knowing when you go and experience. The same with Jesus. Jesus will not take back anything he said. He said, you must accept me, ingest me. I must literally be inside you. You don't just know about me, you must meet me. Eat and drink in Greek, by the way, are written as a once-for-all action, not doing it again and again. You must accept me. And of course, this is pointing to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The call is to truly have Jesus in your life, to be changed by him. There's one guy I read years ago on this who I, I just love what he said, when he said, look, is Jesus real to you spiritually something you can taste or handle? Is Jesus as much a part of you as that, uh, as that which you eat? Uh, don't think me being blasphemous when I say he must be as real and useful to you as hamburgers and fries, but he is asking. I say this because obviously Jesus is far more real and unusual than fries or burgers, but the unfortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less than fries or burgers. Jesus is intentionally setting up a great divide, pointing to those that have taken him in and those that know about him but will not experience or know him. Jesus says it again, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'm going to raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live, because the Father, uh, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. I'm the only way. I'm the only thing that will last. You have to accept me, accept my teaching, accept my claims of being from heaven. You have to accept my coming work on the cross. Then and only then will you live. Only then will you be given eternal life. The problem isn't intellectual here. The crowd begins to see that Jesus is really getting them to a place, to a corner. They now begin to see the call and the command and the cost. Things become very clear. And the heavier the image that Jesus uses, the stronger and stranger it gets and the more they realize how serious this is. See, let me just pause and do this again. At this moment, Jesus is making a huge PR mistake from our perspective. Jesus and the disciples had tens of thousands of followers. Everything was up and to the right, up and to the right. Now, here's the truth. Some of them were deeply committed. Some were on the fringe, some in the middle, some really far away. But see, Jesus is looking for genuine disciples, not just crowds. He knows people follow him for a million reasons, but they really don't want to meet him. It's temporal, it's fickle, it's like the good news falling on dry and rough ground. They say yes, but they have no discomfort. They say we like Jesus as we see him or as we want him. But Jesus is basically saying, you can't put words into my mouth. You cannot reshape me to suit your ideas or politics or wants. You, you, no, 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 I'm Savior, I'm Lord. Uh, I'm in charge, never you, only me. Well, how did the crowd respond? Well, verse 66, from this time forward, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. 
Then Jesus turns to his inner uh, group. Uh, Do you want to leave me too, Jesus said to the twelve? And Simon Peter answered, listen, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, you have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know you are the Holy One of God. I'm stuck with you, Jesus. I, I love Peter's work here. I've checked it all out, and I have no other place to run. Nothing's better. Nothing's more satisfying. Yeah, listen, there is a ton of options out there, but you're still the best option. Now, by the way, if you haven't caught it yet, let me tie the beginning, the middle, and the end of this sermon together with the whole summer. Jesus, through this whole passage, is claiming to be divine, to be God. Remember, some of you might not know this, some of you do, when Moses met God personally for the first time, it was at the burning bush. And when Moses realizes that God's presence is in front of him, Moses says something to God. He says, what is your name? And God says out of that burning bush, I am that I am. This is a variation of one of the names we looked at week one, Yahweh. And it basically means he who is and he who causes to be. Now, if you haven't caught it, here it is. Jesus keeps saying, I'm from heaven, I'm from heaven, I'm from heaven. I existed before I existed, and I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. And this gets even clearer, crystal clear, two chapters later. In chapter 8 of John, he's talking to some religious, I think some religious leaders. And this is what he said, lean in. Jesus says again, he himself is Jewish, and he's speaking to Jewish people and Jewish religious leaders. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He was glad, he saw it, and he was glad. The people say back to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him because Jesus, but Jesus himself slipped away. Jesus explicitly, I am the bread of life. I, I am. I am equal with God, for I am God. I am divine. Now, here are the gospels given. The good news is given to all of us. I, I think this is one of the best ways to look at it. We're not denying there are a thousand other options out there. Secular, spiritual, religious, fill in all the blank. There are a million options. The buffet is vast, but... There's only one best option. This is the good news. Jesus, who is equal with the Father, has come down from heaven. He is the great I am. And if you truly and fully accept Jesus and his gift of life, you get saved. How do you eat this bread? How do you drink this cup? Jesus said it, that God is literally speaking to some of you right now. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. You must accept and only accept Jesus, the bread of life. If you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying, I know him, I've met him, I trust him, I place my complete confidence in him, I admit I'm a sinner, I admit that I have much of my life believed I'm good enough, or I don't need God, or I'm religious enough. I also admit that I have said to God, prove it, or prove yourself, or show up, then I'll believe in you. But now I actually need to say, I need bread that will last. And so I'm humbling myself and I'm saying, you are Lord and God and Savior. I welcome your forgiveness. I welcome you to run my life. I welcome your eternal life. I want to be held by you. I don't want to fear death. I now believe that everything I know about this life and what happens at my death and after depends on Jesus Christ. My question to all of you 
is have you said yes to Jesus and what will you do? Will you say, yes, he is from heaven and the bread of life or will you be the crowd? Walk away, get angry or reject him. Many of us uh, listening or watching this right now or hearing this, we're Christians, but it's an interesting moment for us to pause because uh, that crowd is still found even among us who walk with Jesus. I'd like you to do something if you wouldn't mind right now, no matter where you are. This is not some weird, manipulative, new age moment. Let's just, could you just close your eyes? Could you close your eyes, wherever you might be, and I want you to picture that massive crowd of 10,000 plus people and Jesus somewhere among that crowd or in front of the crowd. And I ask you, so remember, uh, Jesus lives in you and he's real and the Holy Spirit is in you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you actually are in proximity to Jesus. Not where you used to be five years ago or two years ago or last month. Where, does, from God's view, where are you at this moment in this season of life in your proximity to Jesus? Take a moment. I'm going to pray. Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit. Don't let the evil one speak. Don't let uh, vain imagination. Just show people where they are in proximity to you. I mean, this is what I talked about last week. I'm not talking about salvation. We who are Christians are saved by his work. The point is, I'm not talking about how emotionally do I feel, how hyped up, hyped up am I about Jesus. It's just how close am I? What's my proximity? I guarantee you hundreds of you literally had a vision in your head where you saw a crowd and there was Jesus in some, some way and you were like, wow, I'm really close to him or actually I'm really far away. Uh, your prayer this week needs to be, Jesus, I, I, I actually want to be like the disciples and I want to move closer and be closer. I want to end this sermon um, very specifically. I was praying this week and had a sense I needed to share this. There's a few of you that are here and you have been long-term Christians or you've been Christians for a while and because of pain or life or intellect, you are... Um, really struggling with the Christian faith. Actually, some of you have prepared to leave the Christian faith or you have left the Christian faith in secret. Um, and, and this is what I genuinely believe the Spirit of God is saying to some of you. Uh, yes, there are many options. And you can leave and go away like many other people have. But if Jesus really actually is from heaven and Jesus really is the bread of life, and Jesus really died and really actually physically rose from the dead, you will find nothing like him as you go exploring. Where else can you go? I love what Peter basically says. We've looked at the alternatives and they're hollow. They're not lasting. They don't even come close to Jesus' love, his holiness, his perfection, his consistency. For someone or a small group of you hearing this today, you know literally right now, you, you're almost, some of you are like, why is he looking at me? I'm not. I'm literally taping this on a Tuesday alone in a room. This is divine conspiracy. God is cornering you on purpose. Loving concern. So you will be brought back to the same place that you used to be in. And that you will not just finish, but you'll finish well. Peter says, and you should say this week, I'm stuck with you, Jesus. 
And I'm not just stuck with you. Oh, this, this, is, this is the moment. Some of you literally God is saying in this to you in this moment. I'm also stuck with your church. I'm stuck with your people. I'm stuck with your, your bride. Jesus is speaking very situationally right now. Would you come and meet with me once again and let me bring healing, life, restoration, and new start? Uh, Lord, we're thankful for this whole summer series. We're really thankful that you've taught us who you are, what we can know about you, what we can't, what we should expect from you, how good you are, how holy you are, how kind you are. We thank you that all of who you are is found fully in Jesus. We thank you that, Jesus, you're the bread of life that's come from heaven. And so a few things. For those who are listening right now and watching right now who have not crossed the line of faith, um, you have to open their eyes and their hearts to you. you. God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, send the Holy Spirit to literally open people's eyes, show them their sin, show them their lostness, show them the hollowness of what they trust in, and lead them to Christ. Even in this moment, do this work we ask in Jesus' name. Remove the blinders of the evil. Remove the deadness of the heart. Bring life in Jesus' name right now. For others of us, Lord, show us genuinely where we are with Jesus. Not so we feel shamed or condemned, but actually bring us closer, closer, closer so we can walk. And lastly, for that small group of people who are denying and struggling and wondering and running and hiding publicly or privately, bring them to the place actually where they will want you as the best option again. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. All right, I pray you're blessed by the word and we'll see you next week.